Vox Quick Hits. What you're about to hear is just a preview of a much longer and deeper conversation. And trust me, you're going to want to hear the rest of it. You can find the full episode at Vox Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Vox Conversations. Today on the show, Soraya Nadia McDonald. She's a culture critic for The Undefeated and a big fan of television. She loves shows like Watchmen. And today on the show, she's going to talk with the very dude who's written for that and other big name shows. His name, Core Jefferson all about what it's like to transition from writing journalism to writing television and about what needs to change in TV's writers' rooms and and what our current era of streaming giants and tech barons means for news and popular culture. Here's Soraya Nadia McDonald. So I want to make sure I have this right. Where were you living when you were working for Gawker? Uh, When I was working for Gawker... I was living in Los Angeles, and so my title was West Coast Editor, not because I did very much editing or, or sort of was covering all of California, but just because I didn't want to move to New York. And so they said, that's fine, and they just gave me the title West Coast Editor. But mostly I was just blogging like everybody else. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's really interesting because, like, Gawker, its reputation, the sort of, like, original recipe Gawker, yeah. is as this very, like, New York-centric media entity and you know, enfant terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's an elegant um, way of putting it. <laughs> Most people would just say a bunch of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so when you, you know, when you start working there, why? You know, because I'm sure you are aware of the reputation that it yeah. had. And like, how did you see your career unfolding? So the way that I got hired at Gawker was that I had been working previously, for the previous two years at, at this magazine called Good, which almost was like literally the polar opposite in tone and style than from Gawker. So it was this magazine that was dedicated to, you know, improving the world and, and spotlighting people who were trying to sort of like change the world with, with these big grand ideas. And I worked there with people like Ann Friedman and Amanda Hess and Tim Fernholtz and, and Megan Greenwell. All these people have gone on to have amazing careers in journalism and, and do wonderful things. And so I was very happy there. But they, in 2012, uh, decided that they didn't want to publish a magazine anymore. And so they fired all of us and shuttered the magazine. So I was kind of adrift. And I had written a couple freelance things for Gawker. And I think what drew me to the site was that despite the fact that it was entirely different from what good was trying to do and what I'd been trying to do in my previous job, it felt like there was freedom there. And it felt like a pirate ship in in a good way. It was like this kind of island of misfit toys of people from all different backgrounds and walks of life who had come together because they sort of had this devotion to telling true stories and trying to make waves and 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 do things that other people were not doing. And And so it felt like a place where somebody who was ambitious and excited to write could make a name for themselves. I really loved my jobs in journalism, and I feel very grateful to have had the ones that I had. But, you know, as you know yourself, journalism comes with a variety of ethics and rules and ways you do things um, in order to sort of like stay between the lines. And I think that something that was exciting to me was going to a place that didn't have those rules and sort of 
you could do what you wanted to do and write what you wanted to write and say what you wanted to say without a lot of restrictions. And I think that everybody who worked at Gawker would probably admit that that sometimes that that worked out for the worst. But, you know, I wasn't really thinking in those terms. I was mostly just excited to, to work there because I had been such a fan of it for so long. Yeah. How old were you when you started working at Gawker? 2012. I was uh, 30. It was the year I turned oh, wow, 30. That's exciting. Because I was just like going back and reading like some of your old stuff. And you have this piece that you wrote about Mad Men. And basically, if we're thinking back, everyone was just sort of like vociferously consuming the show, like really obsessively every week, right? And trying to suss out what Matt Weiner was, what clues he was, you know, leaving by like the books that Don was reading and all this sort of stuff. And you're talking about how the men in this show are really just kind of terrible people. And if you want to kind of like, if you want to make a terrible person look good, just put them in a Don Draper. (laughs) That was the first thing that I ever written for Gawker, actually. Uh, And, you know, I I really, really love Mad Men. In my opinion, Mad Men is the greatest show that's ever been made for TV. It's at least my favorite. But I think that they're... Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) In fact, like after I watched like the first six episodes because that's what HBO sent like of the screeners for Watchmen I was like I have never loved something this much except for Mad Men oh wow that well (laughs) I mean that is high praise because I consider myself one of like the biggest Mad Men fans in the world but I think that for me there was no getting around the sort of way that culture really adopted that show and sort of like took away from the things that, like, these guys are so cool. Like, it's so cool to be Don Draper. It's so cool yeah. to be Roger Stern. They're really cool. And it's like, if you, they're I mean... miserable. Yeah, they're, they're all very unhappy alcoholics who are constantly uh, cheating on their spouses because they're unhappy in their relationships. Mm-hmm. And they're racist and they're homophobic and, they, and they're huge misogynists. I, I just, I just, the way that sort of culture latched on to these men as sort of being heroic. I mean, it's not just a Mad Men phenomenon. I think that that happens every time that there's an anti-hero. Right. Same thing happened with Tony Soprano. Same thing happens with Walter like, White. Walter White. Yeah. yeah. And the, the villainization of Skylar as just being like this monster who won't let her husband oh my God. kill everybody and, and sell meth all the time as being like this evil antagonist who's like ruining Walter's life. Right. That happens with, with every show. But I think that it was, it sort of seemed especially pronounced because there wasn't like GQ style guides for Walter White. There wasn't like GQ style guides right. for like Christopher uh, Moltisanti and stuff. Like like those guys weren't, I think, being um, valorized in the way that that Don Draper and Roger Sterling and the rest of the people on Mad Men were. It felt odd to me. It, it felt like a visual treat. Yeah. I mean, it's such a cool looking show and everybody on it looks cool and they're attractive. And so I understand the impulse to do that, but it, it felt like that was happening in such a way that sort of like people were forgetting what the actual, at least in my perspective, like what the point of the show was. And I think it was like especially pronounced because it was a show that like subjugated women so deeply and just like had no Mm -hmm. black people or like any person of color really on it at all in such a way Mm -hmm. until the later season. And then those people were subjugated. Um, Right. There was a lot of discussion at that time about shows like, you know, because there was a discussion of girls not having many people of color, despite the fact that it was set in New York City. They're like, how is this show set in New York? Not full of like black and brown people. Uh, And then Lena Dunham said, I'll show you. I'm going to have a black boyfriend and he's going to be a Republican. (laughs) Yeah. I actually never saw that episode, but I, but I remember uh, talking to a lot of people about it after, after I published that piece. Yeah. It was all, it felt like it was all sort of like in the, in the air at the same time when I wrote that. 
We want to know what you think of Vox Conversations. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with ideas of future guests or even future hosts or just things you think you'd like to hear on the show. If you want to get in touch, send us an email, voxconversations at vox.com. Or if you want to rate and review the show wherever you listen, go ahead and do that. That always helps. Thanks for listening. More soon.